wait a second, this is like a bow and arrow shot across the front of my canoe. Welcome to the Million Dollar Landscaper Podcast. We're your hosts, Scott and Katie Mulchan, and we make it easy to start working on, not just in your landscaping business. We're a real couple that helped grow our family business to well over a million dollars in revenue. And now we help other landscaping business owners just like you to do the same. Are you ready to build your business? Let's get started. Welcome back to Millionaire Landscaper Podcast. Today, we bring on Jonathan Goldhill of the Goldhill Group. Jonathan is a masterful business coach, and he specializes in guiding the next generation of leaders in family businesses. Today, Jonathan and I chat about how landscapers can get stuck at certain revenue points, especially breaking that seven-figure mark. And Jonathan goes into the common things that he sees that's holding landscapers back from achieving that. And he also gives some great advice on how to get past that and how to get to that seven-figure mark. So I encourage you, do not miss today's episode. Before I do that, I want to remind you, if you're a landscaper and you just struggle trying to figure out what you need to charge or you find yourself hopping in the Facebook groups and asking how much I charge for this or how much should I charge for that, you need to check out the Millionaire Academy. Inside the Millionaire Academy, we walk you through step-by-step on what you need to know, the numbers you need to know to be able to accurately price your work and make a profit. So I encourage you to go check out today. And for the listeners of today's podcast, if you use the promo code podcast, we're giving 20% off. So do not miss this deal. Now, just a quick word from our sponsors. The only app every landscaper needs, Company Cam makes it dead simple to communicate, document, and problem solve with guys in the field, no matter where you are. Company Cam brings documentation, communication, and liability protection together in one simple, easy-to-use app for you and your entire team. Take unlimited photos and videos, share custom reports, create flawless before and afters, and even communicate and share progress with homeowners with galleries and project timelines, all from your smartphone. Company Cam, the only app every landscaper needs. Check it out at companycam.com slash million or in your app store. If you run a landscape or lawn care business, you know the work never ends. There's customer service, hiring staff, mounds of paperwork. The to-do list just goes on and on. Plus, you still need to do the actual work that pays your bills. Running your entire business with pen and paper alone is just hard and really plain messy. You know you need a better system to stay on top of everything so nothing falls to the cracks. Jobber is a mobile and online app that helps keep your business organized and looking more professional than ever. With Jobber, you can quote jobs, schedule your crews, send out invoices, accept payments online all in one place. You won't know how you ran your business without it. Jobber offers free one-on-one coaching to help get you started, and there's no software experience needed. Get paid on time, go paperless, and impress your customers. Try it for free today at getjobber.com forward slash MDL. This podcast is brought to you by Busy Busy. Busy Busy is so simple to use, and it's the most reliable GPS time tracking app on the market. And the best part is, it was built for landscapers. Busy Busy's founder created Busy Busy because he owns multiple construction companies and needed to understand better which projects were making him money and which projects were killing him. Payroll is the highest variable cost in the project, so you better be tracking it. Busy Busy does this better than anyone else. So download Busy Busy today and don't forget to mention the Million Dollar Landscaper podcast to get three free months. 
We want to take a quick second to tell you about our friends over at Cycle CPA. I can't even express to you how important it is to have a good accountant on your side. You know you want accurate bookkeeping and financial statements every month. Instead, you're often left with limited time to focus on the accounting side of your business and no reports to show for it. At Cycle CPA, the landscaping accountants, they not only handle the bookkeeping, but also provide landscape industry benchmarking, job costing, financials by service line, advisory meetings, and much more. Cycle CPA has a team of landscaping accountants available to provide anything from bookkeeping to CFO services. Visit CycleCPA.com and for $100 off, mention the Million Dollar Landscaper podcast. If you want to get the lead you want and turn your current clients into raving fans, then you need to try Send Gym. They've created an exclusive offer just for our listeners. If you sign up today, you can get your first month for just $2. So if you haven't already, go to sendgym.io forward slash MDL, where you can get even more exclusive deals just for Million Dollar Landscaper podcast listeners. That's sendgym.io forward slash MDL and take advantage of these awesome deals today. Welcome back to Millionaire Landscaper Podcast. Now, today I'm excited to bring on Jonathan Goldhill. Now, Jonathan is a masterful business coach, podcaster, and he specializes in guiding the next generation of leaders of family businesses, which I'm really excited about. He helps them basically scale their business as they take control of the leadership and ownership of the family business. Welcome, Jonathan. Thanks for being on the show. Scott, thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah. So would you mind just sharing a little bit about yourself, about your history and, and how you got into coaching and what you do? Sure. So a little orientation. I'm originally from New York. I moved out to California when I was 20. I went there in search of my own freedom. My family, as in my grandfather and his brothers, built a very large men's clothing manufacturing business, and it employed close to 2,000 people. That's what I mean by large. Unfortunately, uh, my father passed away at a very young age, 35 years old. I, I was just two. Um, He had just joined the family business a few years prior. He was a son-in-law. There was another son-in-law that joined the business. And long story short, uh, they decided that there wasn't a fourth generation to pass the business to. So it died somewhere between the third and the fourth generation. And I say died. I mean, they sold it. They continued to operate it for many years. But there wasn't really an opportunity for me as a 20-year-old to join the business. So I went to California bounced around in some different uh, careers and decided after having a my own art and clothing business that I would go back to school and get an MBA. And I went to USC, University of Southern California, that is, uh, the one on the West Coast. Uh, go Trojans, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, got my MBA in entrepreneurship and consulting and started my career uh, as nice. a consultant and, and then ran a consulting firm for 10 years that we built up from three to 30 people and from nothing in assets to almost 10 million in assets and about 4 million in revenues. And that's when I decided to basically go back on my own. And it was consulting since 2000, been on my own, consulting, coaching, training, financing, advising, mentoring. Every three to five years, it kind of takes a shift, Scott, as to where it goes. But (laughs) but pretty much the types of clients I work with, um, while they get slightly larger and more successful every year. Many of them have been six and low seven-figure businesses that are wanting to break to the next level. So understanding 
the challenges that business owners go through at breaking from, from six to seven figures is all too familiar to me, especially in the landscape industry where oh, I was probably around 2005 that I started coaching landscape contractors, it started with design build landscape contractors, uh, mostly doing residential design build. And some of those companies evolved into design, build, and maintain, and, or bid, build, and maintain. And so uh, built helping companies build maintenance operations. I've probably worked with over 75 landscape companies. And I think uh, since I started coaching in 2004, I've served, I think, 492 clients. Nice. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. And I, I really love how you helped the next generation come about and it, or it comes back from your, your history. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. It was kind of full circle. I, I started thinking about, so who do I love working with? And I have a particular client that I've developed a close relationship with. I'm going to his wedding in nine days, probably when this episode releases. His name is Justin White. People know him. He's been on the cover of Landscape Management Magazine. He's been the chapter president of his local California Landscape Contractors Association. I've been very, was very involved with the CLCA in California for a number of years. So I have a lot of relationships there. It's been a great ride and relationship with him, but I decided that like he was one of my favorite clients and that I would write this book with this avatar, um, him being the avatar, the, the more my muse, as I call it, as a favorite client of someone who took his business from uh, a million and a half dollars and is approaching 15 million today. So, uh, you know, a, a 10x increase in his business. And we continue to work together. It's been a great ride. I've referred back to him, referred to him in many podcasts. So it's not, he's not unfamiliar with me talking about <laughs> his situation and, you know, his, his story. But I decided to write this book and it was about a next generation leader that was going to take over a family business. And like, what's the playbook that you need to have to take over that family business? Mm -hmm. And also like what needs to be in place between a parent or parents and their child for that to happen. And so that's largely what my book is about. It's a cross between a, a playbook, kind of like an EOS traction or a scaling up light kind of a book mm -hmm. with stories of individual clients that are in family situations. I actually downloaded the first chapter of the book yesterday and was read through that. And it, it is awesome. It, it's like, I can relate to this to the T with some of the stuff as far as like the, the next generation wants to change the business or change certain aspects about the business and how like my parents and my family didn't really necessarily want to change some of the stuff that I wanted to implement. So I can definitely see and relate to that a lot. Yeah, especially I think I use this expression a lot and I think it plays well in the Midwest where there's a lot of farmers and family farms. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's family farms in California too, but it's like kids, the next generation, the 25-year-old, they're willing to bet the farm, mm -hmm. but the parent is not willing to bet the farm on, you know, let's move into a new market or let's even buy new trucks and new equipment or gosh, I mean, such a crazy notion as like, let's go green or let's go solar. I mean, these are all the types of things that disruptive successors, as I call them, think about. But the father or mother who maybe is 50 or 60 and thinking more about their retirement and how much money they're taking out of the business and how much they need, they're not thinking about taking big bets. Young people take big bets. We, as young people, it's easy to recover from big falls 
Old people don't recover so quickly. It's not as easy to rebuild things. So there's that inherent tension, I think, from just a financial standpoint. And gosh, you and I can sort of just riff on other (laughs) tensions that might exist. But, you know, it's ego, the tension of letting go and the ego being in the way, or this was my, you know, I invented it. It's not invented here type of ego type. Again, that's ego. Ego, a lot of times, I think, is what gets in the way for someone to let go. It does. I, I can remember back when we started doing water features and I went to a, a course on it. I went to the a seminar on it and I came back and I told my dad, I was like, this is something that we need to do. This is something that's kind of unique to our area at the time when we started this years ago, decades ago now. And I'm like, this will be great around here. And he's, my dad, I remember, nope, that won't work around here. Our clients won't pay for that. They won't do that kind of stuff. Right. And so we just started, I kind of just took it on upon myself and started pushing our designer to start putting them into the, into the design and started selling it on our own. And it eventually became one of our biggest profit building revenues in our business was doing that. But my father was very, he pushed back very hard on that, we'll say at the beginning. So it was a, yeah. it was a tough one. And it is exactly what you said. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that you should bring that particular topic. And I just mentioned Justin. So he and his family along with a lot of stakeholders in their community, just launched, I guess we'll call it the first annual water summit of the Central Coast in California. Now, water in California is like gold, right? You all, you guys all know what's going on with California between the fires and the lack of rain and the drought. I mean, water is a really big issue. And it just seems like water management in 2020 or 2022, I mean, You've got to have some foresight to, re- you don't need to have a lot of foresight, I should say, to realize it's a problem, but you have to have foresight to uh, come up with some solutions and be very proactive. And his father, Kendall, by contrast, has literally turned over the reins to his kids and he's built such a trust factor with his son, mostly because his son has consistently shown that he does his homework, he's thoughtful. He's like inclusive, he's aggressive, but humble. And, you know, the dad's benefited greatly from the tenfold increase in the company. But look, not every company is going to have a tenfold increase or even a twofold increase. I've worked with many a, a kid or a young man taking over dad's business and the business didn't grow under their leadership or wasn't likely to grow under their leadership because the driving force, the the champion was still the parent and the child just didn't have that hunger. And that's what you have to look for, I think, in that next generation, if you're going to grow the business. And the only compelling reason or a compel, sorry, a compelling reason to drive a growth in the business when other family members come in is because there's now fam- more families to feed. You're not just taking on an employee when you take on your son or daughter, you're taking on their spouse, their children like your grandchildren, you got to step up and that is going to require an increase typically in revenue and profits. It's funny you say that because that's exactly exactly what we did in our business. When I started coming on as the vice president, my wife was coming into the business. We're expected to have our first child. We looked at it and we're like, I can't survive on it. At that time, I think I was probably making 40000 a year. I can't survive on that. You know, We have to make some changes. And, and we started making the big changes in our business to get to the next level and to stay there. I can see that. Yeah. I went through a similar story in a company that I was vice president, number two guy. And uh, we were getting most of our funding from the city of Los Angeles. 
Uh, we were running an economic development firm providing consulting, training, and financing to small businesses. And we get a letter one day addressed to the president and me saying that there was going to be a cap put on our salaries because we couldn't make more than the president at the city agency that was funding us. And I looked at this letter and then I looked at my like one or two year old daughter and thought to myself, wait a second, this is like a, this is like a bow and arrow shot across the front of my canoe. I got to change direction and course here. It's time for me to, to go into the private sector because we were quasi public private. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to make the kind of money and have the kind of freedom with that situation. And so, yeah, we face these things. Yeah. And they're turning points in our careers for some of us. I guess it kind of leads us into today's topic. We kind of want to talk about how landscapers can get stuck at certain financial goals, especially like the seven-figure mark. They get to that point or they're just under it and they just can't break that point. This is something that you help landscapers out with, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking like, what's the difference between $999,999 and a million? <laughs> it's a dollar. But yeah. there's, a, there's a psychological barrier that I think people have. And I bring that up because I think the most important thing to work on first is the mindset, your mindset, and not you, not me, because we've been through that seven-figure uh, you know, transformation. But seeing that as a barrier, you need to remove the obstacles because you're putting those in front of you as a barrier. And then you need to think in terms of like, what do I want my business to look like at the next stage or the next level? And I think you always need to be asking that question, which is why I work with my clients not only weekly and monthly, but also quarterly and annually, most of them, where we look at, so what do we want our business to look like in a year or in three years from now? And for most, they have you know some growth in revenues and employees, maybe locations. And I mean, really painting a picture of what it looks like. And then starting to step into that picture. To step into that picture, you have to let go of certain activities and embrace other activities. So, right, everyone's heard that we need to work more on the business than work in the business. But, like, people are like, well, what does that mean exactly? Okay. So, we need to think more strategically and we need to be involved in fewer activities that are no longer worthy of that sort of higher hourly pay that we're going to be commanding, you know, which, which comes from strategic activities. And that, that mindset, that practice of focusing on what are your vital few? What are the five things that you need to be doing as in your position, in your company? And don't lock that in. Think that's a forever thing. That'll change, especially if you're growing. As fast as you're growing, that list will change. Or if you're disorganized, that list will change a lot too, right? So you have to create an organizational structure, like an accountability chart, we call it, uh, or an organizational chart, where you're really clear on what are the main functions. And then you have to take all of those non-main functions, I call them, I, I call it the vital few and the trivial many. EOS calls it uh, uh, delegate and elevate. You have to figure out what are the things that you love to do and that you're great at and what you like to do and you're good at? And you need to just keep those activities and you need to figure out how to get the stuff off your plate that you don't like 
and that you're not good at or you like and you're good at, but other people could do it just as well. So that thinking alone is and creates transformation in six-figure business owners. Start thinking like a seven-figure business. Start thinking, instead of thinking of yourself as a $500,000 business, think of yourself as a million. Or instead of thinking of yourself as a 750, think of yourself as two million or a million and a half. What is your business going to look like? And don't think that it's just about adding supervisors and, you know, or crew leaders and crew. Because, yeah, you can run a $1 million business with 10 helpers and a leader. But, you know, when you want to get to $2 million, you're going to need like two leaders and 20 helpers. And you might need some break between, you know, you might need someone to manage between the 10 helpers and the one leader. So, you have to look at what does the progression and scale look like? And it has to be based around your strength and expertise. I think it's funny. You, you mentioned, you know, having a vision. And when I ask people like in our Millionaire Academy, you know, what's their vision of the company or to, to, you know, start to think about that and create a vision statement for your business. Some of, I think they like, ah, I don't need to do that. It's just kind of whatever foo-foo type stuff or something. But it, it is so important to have that vision, that goal where you want to get to. And now it may change five, 10 years down the line, but you at least have some kind of vision to get to that point. And I don't think, sometimes landscapers don't think that far ahead. Is that something you come across? Uh, they really don't because they're inundated with what I would call like the tyranny of every day. You know, they're dealing with customers projects that are not going according to schedule or they have to stay on top of their guys. They don't have good processes in place. So the process is very interdependent or dependent upon them to either be there or constantly manage it. They don't have people that, that are replacing themselves in the technical trenches. So that becomes problematic as well. It's true. And they, they get stuck that I have to be out there doing everything, whether it's being on the job site or I have to be the one that's doing the sales. You really don't. And like you said, if you start putting these systems and procedures in place, that can help replace you and get you out of that. So you don't have to be doing it or you can pass on to somebody and they can just literally take it over from that because you set the, the guidelines and the roles, what they need to do. Yep. So I think that it really starts with like, what am I really good at? And what am I great at? And because these are things that you'll do often and do well. Mm -hmm. And then you need to figure out how to complement your skills and talents with other people around you. Learning how to hire is probably, I think, one of the biggest challenges that my clients have faced over the years. And what happens is, is some of them that are growing fast hire poorly. And then when they hire poorly, they hire fast and fire slowly, which is like, like the second biggest mistake they make. And so what ends up happening is, is that they never achieve the kind of profitability that they want. They get caught working so many hours in their business that they're kind of exhausted and their dream, this entrepreneurial dream that they had, kind of warps into a little bit of a, of a nightmare where they're afraid to make new hires or they develop attitudes around people. Uh, you know, I hear these types of things. I'm sure you do too, where people say, well, yeah, I'm sick of hiring job hoppers who will leave for a dollar or nobody stays or there's nobody good out there or people who blame the government because of, you know, regulations or things like that that impede their ability to do business in the state. You know, we hear that in California. This is all stuff that 
everyone else is maybe dealing with as well. And so you, what is your mindset going to be around this? How are you going to overcome this? And I think first, you start by working on your own limiting beliefs inside yourself. Second, you work on strengthening your mindset. And one of the popular ways of doing that is by reading books. Dedicate yourself to learning. And you learn and read about leadership. You learn from other people. You join maybe peer groups or you talk to colleagues or you join your trade association and find out, you know, who else is having challenges. And don't hang around the people that are negative Nellies. Hang around the people that are that are positive and make you feel energized because these are the people that are going to energize you so that when you go back to your office or to the field or wherever, you know, your your place of business is, you're going to energize your people. So you know, you surround yourself with people who have, are of like mind and who have a positive, magnetic, kind of attractive personality so that you can ignite some motivation because, you know, motivation is a daily practice. It's really hard to motivate other people, but you can maybe get them more interested in who they could be and what their potential is. And that could change their life. And, you know, that might be what your business ultimately becomes about. I mean, yes, you're in the business of landscaping. That's how you make money. But you're in the business of changing people's lives. Uh, your customers, whose properties you enhance, and your employees, whose lives you make better. So, like, all of that comes back to mindset. And, you know, the opposite of having a positive mindset is probably, I'm just saying this, thinking of this out loud, is negative stress. What Do you agree? <laughs> yeah, and I know people that get to a certain point, whether it's a 750 or million dollar mark, and they're just so stressed out because they're trying to do this. They're becoming firefighters. They're literally just putting out this fire and then going to the, put out this fire. And they just get so stressed out and they get burned out. I see it too with their employees because they see the owner doing this and then they start getting that too. And they're just getting frustrated because the owner's on them about certain things. And again, to me, a lot of it goes back to having the systems and procedures in place. Now, I mean, you can't prevent everything, but you can take care of a lot of it, in my opinion. Yeah. I, it's something I, I see a lot. Yeah. So I'm sure we agree on almost all of this stuff, but you have to have the right people. And I probably spend, when I go in to a team coaching situation where I'm working with a small company, maybe they don't even really have a fully built out team, but the first year or even two, if it's a real small company, to make sure they have the right team and the right people. Mm -hmm. You know, we often say right people, right seats, doing the right things. You know, so we might have the right people, you know, so they're a good fit with the, with the values. They share the same values. They're performing at a high enough level that they're the right people. They're probably in the right seats. Over time, you come to realize that ah, he's an operations guy. He's good at things. He's good at managing our, our trucks, our, you know, our maintenance. Yeah, they're good at, he's good at people. He's good at managing, supervising, motivating. He likes that, you know. Uh, yeah, you know, this person, he or she is good at keeping track of either projects or funds, finances, clients, what, you know, whatever. So people is a huge piece of it. And then when you have the right people, then, then you have to make sure that they're all aligned around the direction that you're taking the company. So they're all on the same page, so to speak. And that's, I think, when you can start to develop standard processes. When you start developing standard operating practices uh, or processes, then the work can then be delegated 
to someone else who enjoys maintaining those processes. But, you know, getting those things in place, now all of those things requires maybe some profit to be able to do that. So where do you begin? Do you begin with the people? Do you begin with the profit? So do you begin with processes? I say oftentimes start with the people. The right people will figure out how to get a profit because they'll execute more flawlessly. Let's maybe being too idealistic, but they'll execute better, more efficiently, more effectively. And that is going to drive profit. They'll also understand how to estimate, how to price, how to sell jobs better and how to deliver it. I agree. Having the right people around you is so important. And I, I truly believe letting them know your vision. I know we've kind of talked about that a little bit, but that's why it's so important to set your vision of the business and then pass it on to your team. That way they can see it and they can get driven by it and be motivated to get to that point. I can remember telling one of our hardscape foremen, he was a natural leader. He could just get his crews doing whatever we needed to do. And I was like, I can see you moving up to be an operations manager. So I kind of set that vision. I was like, you know, it won't happen for a couple of years, but here's some things that we need to do to get to that point. And then when we get to that point, you can definitely move up to be an operations manager of the hardscape side. And having him hear that, I think, motivated him even further to push his, not necessarily push his team, but to get this team to the next level. But it's, again, setting that vision. Yeah, I think it's super important. So uh, I used to say this a lot to my clients, which is no one's going to buy into your vision until you buy into their vision, which is another way of saying is like, people aren't going to care about you until you care about them. And so the way you care about them is to take the time to find out a little bit about their goals, their wants. Do they want to own a house? Do they want to get married? Do they want to raise a family? You know, do you want to become a citizen? Do you want to move up to a supervisor? Do you want to be running projects? Would you prefer doing construction? Do you like maintenance? Do you enjoy computers? I mean, you need to understand a little about who they are and then you need to sort of share the story about where you want to get to. Leadership is taking people from where you are to where they've never been and maybe you've never been. So you've got to get them to buy in to the story. If, you know, if we go up into an airplane together, Scott, and you've like, you've jumped out of an airplane with a parachute a dozen times and I've never done it before, you're going to have to build trust with me. I'm going to have to build trust with you. So that when you say jump and pull, I'm on board and I know that that's going to work. And so there's a certain amount of a leap of faith or jumping you know, out of an airplane into the, into the blue sky when a leader is trying to take you on a tremendous ride. And I'm not talking about taking your business from 500,000 to 600,000, but I'm talking about like taking it from 500,000 to 5 million. Like that's a big leap of faith, you know, they can't really see it and if they haven't been there and done it. One other thing that I see in people that they kind of get in this mindset that they don't deserve to make that much money. You know, they don't deserve to, to take their business to that level. You know, they started at the bottom and grew it all the way up to whatever level of 500 million, whatever it is. They just don't feel like they deserve to get to that point. Is that something you see as well? Uh, I think the people that come to me want to take it to the next level because I position myself as a guy who wants clients who want a two to 10 X their business. You know, if you don't want a two to 10 X their business, I mean, I'm probably not your guy. 
And I do, I, I do get some of these clients. Don't get me wrong. I, I had a father who hired me to work with his son. They have a, it's mostly a, a mowing operation. It's in Southern California. And he wanted me to assess whether or not his son had what it took to take over the business. And we worked together for about four months. And I reported back to the dad that I think he might have it, but I don't think he has it today. I mean, he doesn't have it today. And he's got other things that he's focused on, such as raising a family, uh, being a provider to his wife. So he really needs just a little bit of career coaching and probably, uh, you know, put a mortgage over his head. That's a good motivator for a lot of a baby and a mortgage are two primary <laughs> motivators for a lot of people. So it is, it is. Yeah. yeah, no, I guess, I guess, you know, cause you see a different level of, of people. We get a lot of people inside our Academy. They're just, you know, they've either taken it from like a side hustle to the full-time business, or, you know, they start it from nothing and just, they had to, whether it's because of COVID or whatever, they had to do something else. And, you know, they've been stuck at making whatever $50,000 a year. But when I tell them they could be making more than that, like, nah, I don't, I don't need that much. They, they get kind of content with whatever they're right. at. Well, wouldn't it be nice? So we have to kind of change their mindset on that yeah. to get them to that level. It's a whole different ball game when you get to that point, but you have to get past that mindset. But I think that's great. And that's where you, what you do complements or is uh, contiguous to what I do. Cause I'm premium price for what I offer. I, I offer a very boutique, customized kind of a program. It tends to be a more expensive. It's not for people who are faint of heart or just want a course. And it's not for people who are making 50,000 or, you know, maybe less than a hundred thousand dollars a year. It's for people who really want to grow. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a, you know, that's great. Although one of my mentors whose name is Vern Harnish, he wrote a book called Scaling Up. You might've heard of it. It's really for middle market companies that are scaling. It's for the unicorns out there that are, you know, want to become a billion dollar valuation. And I think one of the things he says is that there's 19,000 startups every year or something like that. And 95% of them are one person operations who are overstaffed. <laughs> so, uh, so he's basically making the joke of like, you know, it's everyone wants to become like their own boss, but the job creation is probably a, in the middle market, you know, and I'd say middle market is companies that are, you know, I'll even say 5 million and above. Some would argue it's larger. Um, that's where the real jobs get created in this country. And I think it's great that we have a lot of startup entrepreneurs and that you, with your academy, serve that market. But many of these people are just substituting employment, as I see it, instead of working for someone else who's got a $250,000 a year business, they're working for themselves and they're making 50 and they've got a you know, two or three helpers and they're grossing 250 and that works for them. And, you know, God bless them. Yeah. And that, well, this kind of works out well because we can get them to that past that point and then they come see you and take it to even the next level from there. So that, that works out well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've had plenty of guys come to me. And as a matter of fact, I have one right now and he's doing all of $400,000. And I've worked in the years past with plenty of people that were doing, I think 350 was kind of like the minimum number for me. Like you had to be past that point where you had a few people because otherwise you just, you couldn't fight your way out of a paper bag, so mm -hmm. to speak. You had to have a few people so that you could hand stuff off to other people so you could work on the business for at least a few hours. Mm -hmm. 
But I have a client today who's, I think he's had a million dollar run rate, but I mean, last year, 2021, he closed out at $400,000 in gross revenues. But his goal is to be a million and a half dollars this year. And he came to me so that he could position himself to do that. And I think he's already at a million dollar run rate. And trust me, he calls me up some coaching sessions some days and goes, like the wheels are coming off this thing. Like This is really stressful. And I'm sometimes unsure. Like, is this what I want? And I'm saying, trust me, you're going to have to get through some hurdles. There are going to be some times where you're going to work your butt off, but you're young. Like, when are you going to do this? You're whatever, 25 to 35 years old. You've got the stamina. Do it now. You don't have kids maybe that are interfering that, you know, demanding of your time. And, you know, you can build this and it can happen fast. People want to join exciting operations if they're growing and they see a bigger future for them. Absolutely. Going back to the hiring, like you said here, it, to me, it's a whole big cycle of different things. It's it's finding the right people. And everybody's like, I can't find anybody. Well, they're out there. You just have to find them. I mean, they're going about different avenues, but that's a whole nother story. But you have to have a place that people want to come to work to and, and see, have a vision of what they can do and grow like we talked about. And to me, it's a, build up this whole entire system to get the right team there to, to help support you to get to whatever your vision is. People just get stuck in that. I just can't find anybody. I'm just going to keep doing it myself. And well, you're, you're not going to be able to grow if you stay in that mindset. We have to figure out how to get past that to, to get to that point so you can grow to get those people. Yeah. So this client I was just referring to, he is hiring... Gosh, I forget the position. I think he's calling it an estimator, but it's also a, like an appointment setter, lead generator type of person. And I put him through one of my partner's uh, programs where he's creating a job recruiting ad, working with this outside person. So it's great. It's an extra resource for me to work with my clients, creating a, a top performing you know, uh, ad, and then putting it out into the right places, painting a picture of the company as a, an employer that you'd want to work for. I'll help him with interview questions, screening, and then this other partner will use an assessment instrument to benchmark this person, not only against a, an enormous database of other estimators that like is a national benchmark, but my client has taken the benchmark himself. You know, he took it with the mindset of, what if I was just an estimator who was lead generating? I mean, so now we have an internal benchmark and we're looking for someone who fits that, that profile, that, that candidate. And so having a, a good system for hiring a rock star employee and then managing them is vitally important. And so that's something that I'm big on right now. And I, just have a, a new blog post coming out. I think it's called Seven Steps to Hiring a Rockstar Employee. And it outlines a couple of the different systems that I follow um, and some of the tools therein to help you to hire those great people. But where does it start, Scott? It starts <laughs> up here, right? The yep. six inches between your ears is one of my coaches says, like, you know, it get get rid of the junk in your head. And stop thinking there's no good people out there or have you seen them out there? I mean, look, I understand there, there's tough and difficult markets to hire people. I have a client that's in New Mexico. It's a really desirable town, Santa Fe, to live in, but very expensive. And hiring good people, it's kind of limited. You don't have a huge market. It's not like being in the middle of Michigan or 
uh, you know, or out, you know, in a big city, there's much fewer people. So I get it. We have challenges, but you have to figure out what your assets are and market those assets. And if you don't have enough in the way of assets to market, I hope everyone's following me when I talk about assets. I'm not talking about trucks and equipment on your balance sheet. <laughs> um, although people probably do like driving nice, shiny new trucks. I'm talking about making your company an employer of choice. Uh, I think Jeffrey Scott calls it a destination employer. So that, that word phrase comes to mind, but it's making your company so desirable that people want to work for you. How do you make it so desirable? Well, first you work on your vision and you share that vision. And, and next uh, you develop a, a set of values and you hire people who share those same values so that you're all kind of playing on the same team. And then third, you build in other things like training, like accountability, like regular meetings where issues are processed and discussed and solved and numbers are measured and, and they're shared um, and there's transparency and visibility. I mean, I never went to a basketball or a baseball game that didn't have a scoreboard that I looked at frequently. I mean, you got to know how you're doing. Yep. So these are all important things and you can't do it. If it's just you and a few people, you have to bring and recruit other people in who want to be part of it. And by the way, if you're in a business like landscaping or construction or any other business that seems like a commodity to consumers, you have to come up with some kind of a differentiating value proposition, meaning you have to make your company look, smell, sound different, you know, and think of things like, gosh, like... Mike Diamond, the smell good plumber, right? I mean, you want a plumber that's <laughs> going to come to your house that smells good because, uh, <laughs> you know, and if he doesn't smell good, then call this 1-800 number. I mean, you have to come up with something that sets you apart and makes you memorable, visible, memorable, credible, you know, attractive, all these things that are going to drive people to you and have them coming back. Mm -hmm. Oh, get me going. <laughs> well, I agree. And I feel people kind of get stuck to how they've been hiring in the past because it was very easy to find people in the past and things have changed and you have to be able to adapt to them and overcome them and figure out, like you said, finding out what's unique to your business and letting your team know about that. I'm a big proponent of letting people know your numbers and what, where you're at. You mean you don't have to necessarily let them know what you're making as a business owner, but they have to know where they're at. Okay. If you, we want to give you a raise, well, we have to get to this certain point and we have to you know, increase our productivity or whatever it is and just getting involved. And honestly, like I'm a big proponent of, and this is something I learned a long time ago, was having what's dumb around here meetings with our team. Mm. They have to come with whatever's dumb around here. You have to come up with some kind of solution, whatever you think it is, and you may not have to do it, but they have to come with a solution to that problem or at least an idea of how to get started on it. But they have so many ideas and they see a whole different perspective than what you do as an owner. And that was like a huge eye-opening thing for us when we started doing these What's Dumb Around Here meetings. Love that. It's just something that they're more than just a laborer. They're more than just a foreman. You know, they have a lot of visions that you may not see. So get their input and, you know, yeah. let them know how they can get to the next level. I love that title, uh, What's Dumb Around Here. I have to remember <laughs> that one. Um, I mean, we make it a part of the weekly meeting where we gather headlines from customers and employees so that we can get feedback. You know, mm -hmm. if one customer says your service stinks, okay, maybe 10 others are thinking the same thing. But if three people say something about your service that suggests it's not so great, you need to talk about this. There's a pattern here. You need to figure out what that is. And so mm -hmm. I like, uh, well, we call it 
in my community, we call it keeping a, uh, a hassle log, you know? So what are the hassles that you have to go through as an employee working here? And how can we de-hassle you? And we want to keep a log because we're not going to remove, like everyone's can be a complainer of, of a certain variety, but we want to focus on the, on the most frequently complained about things that are hassles. And we want to fix those and make it easier, mm-hmm. right? Because we want there to be very little friction between us and our customers, us and our employees. We want everyone to love who we are and what we're doing. And we do that by making the journey, the ride together, enjoyable. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I know we talked a little bit about this, but some of the steps that you're suggesting people take if they want to get to that million dollar mark was setting the vision, hiring the right people. What else do you have that you suggest? Okay. So, and I'm just going to repeat it again. You have to always be working on your mindset. And that means what does a leader do? How does a leader behave? And you need to demonstrate and exhibit that leadership and improve upon that on a regular basis. So that's super important. We talked about this vital few, trivial many, or delegate and elevate type of process where I literally would take my clients once a quarter off site and have them write out like what are the vital few things that you, and what are your strategies to maximize them and what do you need to delegate or delete or downshift or destroy the frequency of. Mostly it was delegate. Now more and more is to outsource it. So that's really important. I think you have to really have a great understanding of finances. You have to be able to read and understand an income statement and a balance sheet, not just the income statement. You have to also understand that a cash flow statement is something even different. And that's really important if you're tight on cash. But you need to be fluent in these things. You need to study your industry and understand what are the benchmarks for a profitable company? What targets should I be achieving? You need to set internal targets for improvement. And sometimes they're based on what others externally are doing and have established as benchmarks. So I think those are important. You need to train your managers. You need to constantly, if you're going to be a leader who's learning, you have to think about what am I doing to develop my managers? How am I developing their training? Managers might also include salespeople. You know, what kind of education am I providing them? What kind of educational training am I providing to my field people? Access to programs like Greenius, which I think offers some really good training. It eliminates your job as an owner to have to come up with training videos around use of certain equipment or soft skills. I mean, all of these are super important. It's just a whole different ball game when you get to that certain point, you know, to step up to that level. And you have to start thinking about all these different factors that you mentioned here to get to that point. So I think it's something that adding the systems of procedures is a, is a huge thing to get to that point because it gets you out of the field and gets you working on your business at it, in it. And that's something that I just can't say it enough. To me, it's, it's something very important. That's what helped us. I was in an accountability group a long time ago. And that once I started seeing that, and seeing how these systems started helping all these bigger companies that from what I was at that point, it really helped me step up my game and, and helped me grow our business because it got me out of the field. It got me out of doing certain tasks that I didn't want to do, like you said, is getting to the point to do the things that I needed to do in our business to grow. I think that's a great example. And I think something that a lot of people struggle with 
at the sub $1 million mark, which is where should I be? Should I be in the field or should I be in the office? And part of the answer, I think, lies in where do you do your best work? If you do your best work in the field, then maybe you need to elevate yourself to the top position in the field and train people from being in the field and then find people whom you can trust, who can run the office, who can do the sales. But if you're, as many people that I work with are, are salespeople uh, first, they're technicians second. And that's just because of the focus of probably the people that are coming to me are wanting to grow a lot. So they're probably pretty strong salespeople. And so that's where they're comfortable. But those people now have to move from being out in the field selling and then trying to run jobs over their phone to, I got to get someone who can manage the field operations and I need to start replacing myself in the sales. Also, I'll still do the high level or really big ticket sales or I'll review all the bids before they go out or I'll work on, maybe you get an opportunity to bid on a, a government contract and it's a big bid and you've never done anything like that. So that's all well and good. But you have to maybe step back and get into the office and work on systems and people and finance and some of the stuff that you don't want to have to do. <laughs> but I would I'd come back to figure out what it is that you love to do. My roommate's father used to tell him, and he was the assistant coach of Temple University's basketball team. So I figured he knew a few things about coaching, right? <laughs> they had always a good basketball team. And he said, like, you know, if you do what you love, you'll do it often. And if you do it often, you'll do it well. And if you do it well, you'll be well rewarded or well paid. And so that makes a lot of sense is to start with do what you really love to do because you'll, you know, the money will follow. Very well said. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add about this conversation? Otherwise, I'd love to talk a little bit more about your book and, and how people can start getting the, the first chapter for free. Sure. I think we could go on about this conversation. Like, uh, and I, I do talk about it in my book a little bit. <laughs> okay. So I, I do talk about the importance of managing your priorities and managing your time. And I talk about time management is really priority management. You know, is figure out like uh, what are the most important things you need to get done first and do those first. There are many examples and stories I could share and I do in my book, but like time and priority management are really important, but you can't really manage your priorities or tackle them very well if you don't manage your energy. And so energy is really important. And we don't get energy just from caffeine. You know, we don't get energy just from working out in the gym. And we don't get it just from having a good night's sleep. And we don't get it just from having, you know, good nutrition. We get it from having all of those things. And on top of that, probably good family relationships, you know, healthy finances, you know, there's a lot of other things that give us the stability of good friends, I should say, right? All those things can give us energy. We have to figure out what are the things that we need to do personally so that we can be the best leader that we can be. And that means taking care of all of these things right? Sleeping well, eating right, having good relationships with people, managing your finances so that you can sleep at night. So that's all important. And I think, I don't know, I want to say it's chapter eight of my book. My book is a playbook, Scott, for people who want to grow their company from six to seven figures or seven to eight figures 
it's a playbook that is based again around a family business or family businesses, but it's really is any entrepreneur's playbook. And I offer action steps at the end of each chapter. There are free tools that I give away that are on my website that you can download that will help you when you start implementing them in your business to work on your business and, and less in it. In my book, I have what I call a seven P's framework or playbook, uh, where I talk about people and priorities and processes and performance and purpose. And so there's all these different elements that I think make up for a complete system in driving success in your business. And you can grab a free chapter off of my website. You can go to thegoldhillgroup.com and look for the Disruptive Successor book. I also do have a website, disruptivesuccessor.com, so whichever way. And you can download a free chapter from the book, start reading it. And if you like it, support me if you would. So I think it's like $15 on Amazon. And uh, I'm going to be coming out with an audible downloadable version in the next month or so. Nice. Uh, yeah. Go check out this free, the free chapter at least. And it's, it's a great book. I, I said, I just read the first chapter. I'll be ordering the, the full book after uh, it's after today's conversation. It really is for like, I can see myself in it. it is step-by-step and step what needed to happen and how things can happen in your business to pass on the torch. Yeah. Support, go buy the book. I think I get like five or $10. It throws some, uh, that's my friend. What does it say? coal on the fire so we can get this train moving down the tracks and serving more people, reaching more people. This is not uh, a book I'm going to make my living on. This is what I call it's, it's mailbox money or lunch money. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now I'm hoping it'll positively impact people's lives. I'm already seeing that some people are reading it and saying, I need help implementing this stuff. You know, can I hire you as my coach? I've read the book. I'm virtually coaching myself, but I need an outside objective thinking partner who I can talk to or who will work with my leadership team to implement this stuff. Well, it's one of those things you don't know what you don't know. And if you're not, have never dealt with this transition, it's good to get outside sources like yourself to, to help you figure that out. Yeah. Save you a lot of headaches. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I mean, look, a mentor, a guide, someone who's been there, done that can get you there faster and they don't have to have been someone who's grown a landscaping company, they could, and that might be very helpful. I think that one of my value proposition or advantages is I've worked in probably over, I think, 75 different industries. Many of them are, and I've narrowed my, my niche down to construction and related service-based industries, but that could be a home improvement. I'm working with a company right now that does AV technology and commercial offices. Very interesting, you know, roofer, plumber, uh, real estate developer, family office of real estate properties, property management. What I learned from one industry is very useful at bringing to another industry because a lot of innovation that you see out there was started in one industry. Uh, you know, the, the drive-through fast food concept that came from drive-through banking, if anyone can remember that. I don't know. Drive-through banking didn't quite work, but drive-through fast food is still here. There's a lot of companies who developed innovations based on other industries, and I think it's really important. Plus, 
you know, developing people, developing leadership, learning how to run meetings, learning how to measure, uh, learning how to plan, doing all those things. Doesn't matter what business, what industry you're in. People are people. Profit is profit. It is. You also have a podcast. You mind talking a little bit about that as well? Yeah, 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 sure. So when I launched my book, I thought I would launch a podcast at the same time by the same titles. It's, so it's called The Disruptive Successor Show. And it's a show for next generation leaders where you can learn about wealth transfer, financial management, uh, how to set up your own instant nonprofit, how to do media buying. I've done 75 episodes. Nice. I've just brought on a, a sponsor, and that's Traction Tools. They're an official software for uh, users uh, who are using the EOS system. So very proud to have them as my sponsor because that's the tool and software that I use with my leadership teams to do our planning work. And had some really interesting people. Uh, highlights, uh, uh, Mitzi Perdue is, uh, was married to Frank Perdue who was the founder of a very large chicken business. I just had a Purdue chicken the other night I cooked here. <laughs> and she's also the daughter of the Sheridan hotel chain founder. Wow. So like she comes from family business royalty and, you know, sitting and talking to her, she's a, a an older mature woman whose interest is in things like, you know, stopping sex trafficking. So, and I, I always connected back to family businesses and next generation leaders. I think it's really important, for instance, to be a good steward of the planet, to think in terms of giving back to our community. I have clients who I encourage, if they're in the landscaping business, to pick a project once a month, once a quarter that's in the community. Go give a day where you pay for the materials and you, you know, you beautify a park, a school, a church, uh, something. I mean, what better publicity is that? It's free. You know, it's a great thing and you feel good about doing it. It's like Habitat for Humanity type of work. So I think it's really important to exemplify that. But uh, I've had just a lot of very interesting guests. Uh, John Jantz, who's a well-known marketer, founder of Duct Tape Marketing. You know, a lot of people out there, that are doing really good work, whether it be in the legal or financial management or family businesses. I've had quite a few landscape-related companies that are, have been on the show. And it's a lot of fun for me. It's a, like probably for you, it's a, it's a hobby business that's a labor of love that maybe we'll make some money one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a side hustle. <laughs> well, it kind of is. Yeah. It, right. I, I enjoy it. I enjoy talking to people like yourself and just, you know, I'm always gaining knowledge from every, every person I've had on. So it's, it's quite enjoyable. I, I, I love learning. I love reading and learning as much as I can from everybody else. So I, I enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. So good. And it's so good to give back. I, I just had a uh, someone call me up. Coincidentally, he found me through the USC Trojan Network. He started listening to my podcast. And then when he booked a call with me, he said, I, I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity. I mean, it, I've had, I've listened to like 12 of your shows and then it just skipped all of a sudden. Now I'm listening to like the last 10 on my ride to work, you know, 30 to 40, 50 minutes, whatever. I'm listening to a show a day and I, I'm getting so much out of it. And I want to listen to about 10 more shows and then book a call with you and my team and talk about what it is that we, we want to focus on. Yeah. 
That, that was weird. We did a, we went to the GIE last year and we had a booth there and people would come up to us and oh, I listen to your podcast all the time. You know, I want to get pictures. It's just weird. Like people, oh, wow. That's, that's great that you want to listen to it. <laughs> I'm a superstar. Yeah. I never, never thought about it that way, but it was cool. Right. <laughs> well, Jonathan, it's been great to have you on the show today. How can listeners get in touch with you and, and find a little bit more about you if they want to get some coaching? Yeah. So gosh, you're listening on podcasts. So maybe uh makes most sense to you to check out the Disruptive Successor podcast and go there. But you can go to my website, thegoldhillgroup.com and contact me through there. If you want to strike up a conversation, connect with me on LinkedIn and reach out. I'm active on LinkedIn. I get direct messaged every day and, uh, and I'm reaching out to people all the time and developing relationships and getting clients there. So you know, always happy to jump on a 30 minute call, talk to someone, explore the fit, talk about what are the challenges and issues. Typically, I'll recommend some solutions and typically they won't be things that you can implement overnight. So, you know, the option to work with me to help you implement these is always there. And I'm not a hard sell kind of guy, so you don't have to worry like, oh, if I schedule a call with him, he's going to be pestering me, like, <laughs> you know. I got plenty of business. I'm I'm pretty good where where I'm at, and I'm always happy to pay it forward and help people. Nice. That was very kind of you. All right, John. Well, again, thank you very much for being on the show. You have a few minutes for some fun questions. I have a few minutes for some fun questions, uh, but I might have some dumb answers. So let's see what <laughs> sure, you got. Let's bring it. <laughs> okay, bring it on. All right. Is this like a you know ten nine eight seven? Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay, go for it. All right. What slogan or jingle got stuck in your head forever? If you want it absolutely positively overnight, then call FedEx. Okay. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that's a slogan or a jingle, but uh, that was kind of like the dominoes, you know, 30 minutes or less or it's free. Yeah. I speak to people who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and they know the dominoes thing. That campaign was 30 years ago. They weren't even alive, some of them, right? Yeah. But it lasted. It was so effective. The FedEx is kind of worn off. You know, UPS sort of ate their lunch a little bit. But but yeah, we think of FedEx still as someone, you know, to overnight it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next one. Do you have a favorite number? And is there any particular reason why? Can I have two? Sure. If I tell you five and then I use that in passcodes, then I'll have to change a lot of my PIN numbers and stuff. But... <laughs> I think there's some magic number in five that it's just, I don't know, it's, it's maybe it's the median number between, you know, zero and 10. But I think nine is a, uh, is a powerful, lucky number. Um, So nine would be my lucky number. And I don't know why. Maybe it's, uh, you know, in the Jewish religion, and I'm Jewish, uh, 18 is life. And uh, so maybe nine is half-life. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Last one. Uh, this is probably one of the harder ones, I guess. If you could have anything named after you, what would you want it to be? Uh, a child. Okay. Uh, I think that would be really good. I don't want a building named after me. So <laughs> it's good. I haven't accumulated enough wealth to build a building named after. I mean, I guess it could be, you know, but I, you know, it's not a something, I, not something I aspire to, but yeah, a child. I mean, what greater gift than to have someone named after you? And I, I'm in a house as we speak, uh, where my girlfriend has just become a grandmother this week. 
actually. And uh, the twins, one of them was named after her late husband. And I okay. think uh, what an honor uh, yeah. her daughter gave to her by naming it after naming one of the children after her father. I like it. Yeah. All right, Jonathan. Well, again, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed talking to you all about this. We can go on for days, I feel like, with some of these conversations, but oh, yeah. it's been great. Yeah. Scott, thanks so much. I appreciate you having me as a guest on your show. And I'm uh, thankful for listeners who stayed through all this. And, you know, business is a journey. You get to make it what you want. Just choose and choose wisely, I guess. Great words right there. All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us today. Hope you have a great day and we'll be talking soon. Bye-bye. Hey everyone, just want to thank you again for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do ask you for one quick favor. Could you please head over to iTunes and leave us a review? A five-star review is even better, but it helps us get our rankings up and help us spread our message. 